Hello, hello, and hello, everybody. Welcome back for another episode. If not now, when? In today's show, we are so beyond excited to invite Justin Siegel on our show with us today. Justin, he is an entrepreneur and investor. He is the co-founder and CEO of two successful mobile entertainment companies. The first company, J Smart Technology, was a pioneer in the mobile games. It was acquired by SK Group in 2004. The second company, J and J Mobile, backed by General Catalyst Partner and SoftBank Capital, built one of the first mobile social network. Today, it is one of the Android's top-grossing social application and the leading mobile platform. Justin today is a founder and managing partner of ATX Angel LLC, which invests in early-stage companies. He's also a TechStar mentor and advisor to Boston Seed Capital. With that, everybody, I am so beyond excited. Please join me to welcome Justin to the show. Well, Justin, um, so excited to have you here with us. Yes. So let's dive in. Let's dive into the journey and tell us how does all the magic get created. <laughs> Where did you、oh, grow up? Yeah, I grew up in upstate New York in Hudson Valley. You don't strike me as a New Yorker. Oh, okay. At all? Yeah, yeah. I grew up in New York. Yeah, so、um, in a famous town called Woodstock. It's famous. It's famous for the Woodstock concert, even though the Woodstock concert did not happen、wow. technically in Woodstock, but、wow. it is a famous town. Lots of musicians have recorded their records there. People like Bob Dylan, the Rolling Stones, David Bowie. Wow! Yeah. So yeah. with that, do you would you want to be a musician growing up? I I did not want to be a musician growing up. I mean, I guess briefly for a moment in high school, <laughs> like everybody, I thought about it.、Uh, I think I bought a bass guitar and played it for a few months, but but that was that was the extent of my music career. Yeah. Yeah. Then what happened for you? Um. Yeah, well, as far as music goes, I just think I had no skill、yeah. or talent, and so,、yeah. so I quickly sort of lost interest. That wasn't that、mm-hmm. wasn't my passion. So, what was your passion back then? Back then, my passion was actually French. So I studied French、uh, like crazy. I studied it in high school. I had a tutor、um, who was a college professor after school. And I spent a lot of my free time、uh, working on my French in for a couple of years in high school, and then、Why? I went abroad.、Uh, I wanted to live abroad. Like、mm. I love New York, I love Woodstock, but it's a small town.、Mm-hmm. Uh, I've always wanted to get out of the town and explore the world more, and decided to do a foreign exchange program in France. Oh wow! And so once I set my mind to that, then I just started studying French, and I got、uh, very passionate and、uh, you could say obsessed with with learning French,、uh, which I did. Yeah. Wow. So how's that experience like when you actually set foot on French? Oh yeah. Well, it was surreal. I mean, I. Yeah, I highly recommend a year abroad for people. I mean, it was one of the most important years of my life. But to wake up and go to school、uh, in France in a、mm-hmm. country where you don't speak the language, you don't know the culture, it's、uh, it can be overwhelming. But for me, it was really more of an adventure. And 
it just sort of fueled my interest and desire to mm-hmm. have adventures in life. Do you and always knew that you go after adventure? Yeah, I, I, I did. I, I wouldn't say like I'm an extreme sports person or anything like that. I didn't necessarily think about, you know, climbing Mount Everest or going to the North Pole. Although those are two things that are sort of interesting to me. But just the idea of having an interesting and exciting yeah. life, like that's probably something that I've known from a pretty young age. I wanted. I love that. Yeah. You know, when I was little, I always um, I loved to read. Fairy tale,、mm-hmm. and there's a book in Chinese. I don't know English name, but Anderson, like an Anderson collection for the、mm-hmm. fairy tale.、Yep. I remember. I love when I open a page. You start with once upon a time. Yes, and I just always knew that gonna be a great story no matter what. Yeah, and I love me mentally being on adventure and think about what if. I'm the one called upon to accomplish that mission. Will I able to kill that dragon, get that apple, get this map, and find the treasure at the end? And I just always love about the idea to exploring life in adventurous way. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. So you get it. Yeah. 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 So what happened next? Now you spend a year or two in France, right? Immersed in the culture, seeing the different way how life works. How is that impacting you? And what's next for you? Yeah, well, then I went to. I ended up coming back to the U.S. and going to college. It turns out it's pretty hard to, you know. I loved France. I, I、yeah. probably like at the time, you know, I think I was seventeen, would have liked to stay there. But there's no real easy way to do that,、mm-hmm. um, because the the U.S. high school system is different than the French baccalaureate program. So I couldn't go on to college there, university there. Came back to the states. Uh, went to university,、uh, University of Massachusetts in Amherst, which is another. I mean, it's an amazing college town. Yeah, you know, Massachusetts is a state that、um, is very closely tied to education、mm-hmm. and higher education, with lots of great universities. And Amherst College is just sort of、uh, well, Amherst, Massachusetts, I should say, is like this quintessential New England college town that has UMass Amherst. Amherst College and a number of other、um, good schools in that area. So yeah, that was a lot of fun.、Mm-hmm. Um, loved being up there.、Uh, fell in love with、um, literature and the arts.、Uh, I studied sociology there.、Uh, I actually didn't study French as an undergraduate.、Um, I did get a master's degree in French literature, but my undergraduate degree was in sociology. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible.、Um, yeah. Well, it's it was、uh, a degree that、uh, I I would not recommend it necessarily for everybody. It's a very interesting uh, uh, subject that allows you to really sort of、uh, study lots of different topics、mm. through the lens of sort of social science.、Mm. Um, but it doesn't necessarily and obviously translate into career opportunities. Well, you always knew that, Justin. I didn't really think about it, to be honest. I just sort of pursued.、Mm-hmm. I just start. I just took classes that sounded interesting to me. So I、mm-hmm. just pursued、uh, classes and subjects and topics that I found interesting.、Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't really think about what the career implications were for that at the time. Wow! Sounds like you just follow your curiosity. I did. Yeah. Yes, did. one after another, and see where future leads to. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Then what happened next after you finish and you get a master degree in France? 
French, yeah. and yep. what happened next? Yeah, uh, I ended up teaching middle school French for a couple of years. So I was oh, a wow. middle school French teacher in North Carolina for a few years. I, I stay two years in North Carolina. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I was in Charlotte. I don't know. Um, uh, Durham. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. I go to Duke. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, Duke's a great school. North Carolina's a great state. It's a wonderful yeah, yeah, state. I love yeah. that state. Um, yeah, I spent four years in Charlotte as yeah. uh, as a middle school French teacher, um, in a in in sort of a urban school setting, um, and I enjoyed that. I enjoyed working with the students a lot. I didn't enjoy the administrative parts of the job, and at a certain point, I felt a little bit stifled by that because I sort of realized that. Um, you know, French doesn't change as a subject. So teaching introductory French classes, uh, the French isn't going to change. And so after four years, I sort of felt like intellectually it wasn't that stimulating to me. So I wanted to look at other opportunities, other things. Um, so how does that pivot from that to entrepreneurship, Justin? Yeah, well, the first sort of pivot, if you will, is also in high school, I forgot to mention, in addition to French, I was passionate about journalism. Mm. But for whatever reason, I didn't pursue that academically. And when I was a teacher, one of the women that I taught with, her husband was a producer at NBC News. And uh, NBC News Channel has um, their headquarters in uh, North Carolina. Uh because there are no unions there, mm -hmm. um, NBC Nightly News is out of New York City, but the news channel, which produces content for all of the affiliate stations around the country, mm -hmm. is based in North Carolina because there are no unions in North Carolina, or at least there weren't at the time. Mm -hmm. So writers could edit video, video editors could write, and people could do sort of multitask and work mm -hmm. on different mm -hmm. things mm -hmm. without running into union issues. So I got a job as a writer on the foreign desk. Uh, there of NBC News Channel, which was amazing, another yeah. adventure, and something that I also sort of just had to teach myself through my passion mm -hmm. and buying a bunch of books at Borders uh, back then and getting up to speed and thinking like, oh, wow, I have this great opportunity. I don't have a degree in journalism, but it was something I was passionate about. Um, and so I did that and taught at the same time. And then, um, and then uh, my best friend, my childhood best friend, was living in Israel at the time. Mm. And Love Israel, by the way. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you've been? Yeah. Yeah. It's such a cool country. Oh, Israel's an amazing country. I feel yeah. like people there really know how to live. Israel is an amazing, yeah, it's an amazing country and amazing people there. 100%. Very different circumstances and mm -hmm. life than, than than what we have here. Mm -hmm. Um uh, and he was working, he had taught himself how to become a software engineer. And he was working at a cool startup based in Israel uh, that wanted to have a little, a little bit of a presence in the U.S. Mm -hmm. for marketing, business development, um, copywriting. And I threw my hat into the ring and said, hey, listen, I don't have any experience doing any of this, uh, but I'll work for free for you guys. And if it works out, then you'll put me on payroll. And if not, then you won't. And they said, sure. And uh, it worked out and they put me on payroll. Uh, unfortunately, the dot-com boom mm. turned into a bust. 
And that company had to do uh, uh, reduce its headcount. I was part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had been at that point sort of exposed to this other whole new world, mm-hmm. which was sort of business and entrepreneurship. Um, and uh, I was bit by that bug. <laughs> and so even though I was let go, I saw in the brief amount of time that I worked there, uh, a whole bunch of opportunities. It was back in 2000, 2001, when mobile phones were just starting to take off. Mm-hmm. And uh, growing up, I played a lot of video games, mm-hmm. like a lot of uh, my friends. And I thought, okay, well, more and more people are going to have phones, obviously for talking and texting. Um, but probably they'll be open to playing some games on them too because they're going to have them with them uh, everywhere they go. And uh, so ultimately, uh, my friend and I started making games for cell phones and Palm Pilots because this was back in the day when you had the Palm Pilots, which I don't think exists anymore. So we started making some games for these things and we didn't ever think about it as a, well, I don't want to say we never thought about it as a huge business opportunity. We thought there was a big business opportunity there, but when we started it, it wasn't with the idea of building something huge. We just thought we could potentially build a business that would support us and maybe a couple of other employees doing cool stuff. Mm -hmm. We knew that it could be a big business opportunity because we knew all of the statistics and the total addressable market and how that was growing. But I don't think we really thought about it in those terms. That was just sort of facts and statistics that we were aware of that we could trot out when people asked us why we were making games for phones. Mm -hmm. When it came to like truly why we were doing it, we were just excited about the opportunity to work on games Mm -hmm. um, and to be part of a new technology revolution um, and to work for ourselves. Most importantly, we really wanted to be Mm self-employed and have the freedom and responsibility that comes with having that kind of control over your own situation. That's incredible. Yeah. Was it a, a one moment or overnight decision or just more going to that? At the moment, you had a job, you had, you know, all the study environment. Yeah. Was that a scare to make that jump? Um, I don't really remember being too scared about it. Yeah. You know, they talk about this idea of the narrative fallacy, right? Which is that we all sort of... <laughs> In hindsight, when we tell these stories, they yeah. sound so much more structured and, and perfect, and perfect <laughs> uh, than they actually were. Yeah. And that's just a function of how our brains work and how we remember things and sort of apply these patterns to them. Um, I don't remember being scared. I think I was pretty excited mm-hmm. about it. I think I was nervous about the idea of, yeah, not having a steady income or job for mm-hmm. a while. But ultimately, that window was pretty brief because what we did, and I think this is actually one of the pieces of advice that I share a lot with entrepreneurs, is uh, I I worked a day job. I ended up working as a journalist, um, as a producer for a small investigative unit for an affiliate TV station. And I worked on the mobile game, the video game company, uh, you know, on the side, as did my partner. And so we built up the business um, as on the side, uh, 
while working day jobs mm. until it became more and more clear that it was going to be a viable business. So it was more exciting than scary yeah. in that way. Yeah, it was very exciting. I love that you just yeah. embrace that yeah. hustle culture, right? You really yeah. make it work. At the beginning, yeah. you probably just follow that curiosity and assignment, make it work and see what the next yeah, it, it, it was. I mean, 2000, 2001 is a very different time period than now, especially when it comes to like entrepreneurship and startups, right? Mm -hmm. um, that was still sort of a relatively new thing. It was largely limited to Silicon Valley. Um, it wasn't, you know, the dot-com boom and bust brought it into the popular culture. Um, but because of the bust, it certainly wasn't popular when we were doing it. Um, and it wasn't really what motivated us. We were motivated by, yeah, we were interested in what we were working on. We liked the idea of two best friends working together. Yeah. Um, not having to work for anybody else. Building a real business. Um, and, yeah, the day-to-day -day work of what we were doing. It wasn't this idea that we were going to build some massive successful company or mm -hmm. that we were capturing a huge, mm -hmm. uh, trying to capture a huge market or anything like that. It was sort of, uh, it wasn't, we weren't looking at it from a 10,000 foot perspective. It was mm -hmm. much more grounded, bottoms up approach mm -hmm. to building the business. Maybe that's one of the secret that. Yeah, I, I, well, for sure. I think that is. I think that's an important thing. You know, mm -hmm. I think uh, when you when you look at some of the things that Y Combinator talks about, um, you know, the idea of starting small mm -hmm. um, and and focusing on solving sort of small problems for a small set of people mm -hmm. before worrying about scaling things mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and before building scalable solutions, just actually build a solution yeah. and then figure out how to scale it. I think there's definitely a lot to that. I agree. Yeah. And especially we are in the new year. We, every, a lot of people have a new year resolution. Mm -hmm. I think about that a lot oftentimes when it comes to goals. Mm -hmm. If right now people say, well, I'm going to lose 50 pounds by yeah. end of this year. That sounds very intimidating versus... I'm going to focus on walking, take a walk 30 minutes a day. That yeah. seems so much more like, oh, I can get by on that. Yeah, today. I 100% I agree. I'm a, I'm, I'm a, uh, fitness is a big part of my life. Mm -hmm. And so I think about that. I thought about that the other day because, yeah, people, it's easy in any sort of area, startups, fitness, to sort of make these big pronouncements that are very mm -hmm. abstract. Mm hmm and it's sort of easy to say those things, but then it's easy to get discouraged by what you've put out in the universe because you can't take on a year or market in a moment. Like mm -hmm, it's about mm -hmm. stitching together consistent activities day in and day out mm -hmm. that sort of build a path to those bigger things. I love and that. And so it's nice to have a big goal. Those can be motivating for sure, but... Um, but it's really the day to day mm. committing. It's not making that commitment for something mm -hmm. like, oh, at the beginning of the year, I'm going to lose 50 pounds without thinking about like, well, OK, how you do that is you actually have to love the process. Mm -hmm. Right. You have to love doing the work every day mm -hmm. to get to that. Yeah. result. And I think that's maybe one of the reasons that you so love 
you know, the idea of creating the solution for your customers, the the idea of you know working with your best friend and incredible partner to build something that's so tangible and so exciting one day at a time rather than thinking about, oh, one day I'm going to go X, Y, Z. And that groundedness allow you to really focus on uh, the solution at hand. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely easy. I see that a lot when I talk to people about fitness or startups mm -hmm. to get excited about the big idea, but to see that excitement quickly fade yeah. when you sort of realize that it's, it's sort of exciting and glamorous to say you're going to run a marathon or lose 50 pounds yeah. or start a competitor to Facebook. Like that sounds exciting and fun and, and it is. But then when you look at the day to day of what that means, I think a lot of people sort of quickly sour, which is why I think when you go to the gym on January 2nd, <laughs> it's packed. When oh you're there goodness. by March 2nd, it's a lot more empty. Oh, yeah. my God. Yesterday, it was so busy. The yeah. gym is insane. Yeah. And I love that, you know, I really felt fitnesses or life or business, they are kind of the same thing, same journey. And yes. I think a lot of ideas are really parallel in both worlds. Yeah, I think that's true. And Justin, so what happened to you next? Now you're building a assignment, uh, side product with your best friend yeah. on the side. What happened next on this? Well, what happened is the business started to work. We started to sell games, first on Palm Pilots, um, because there were platforms back then in 2002, 2003, that supported selling uh, applications onto Palm Pilots. There was not as easy a process to sell games to cell phones. So today, of course, everybody knows that if you build an app, you put it on the app stores, right? And there's two, Android and iPhone. Uh, back then, there were no, well, first of all, there was no Android and there's no iPhone, right? Mm -hmm. There were flip phones. There was hundreds of different models, um, not a common tech platform for any of them. And, um, and there weren't distribution platforms. So the carriers, the individual wireless carriers, Verizon, AT&T, Singular, mm -hmm. T-Mobile, whoever, they started to build their own solutions, their own individual app stores. And these app stores, T-Mobile had their own app store, Verizon had its own app store, and on and on and on. Um, and then that was how you had to develop relationships they also, right, they also were not self-serve platforms, right? So today, and any app developer in the world can upload their app to Android or iPhone, and they get reviewed and go live on the platform. That was not the case for those, for the carriers. You had to establish business relationships with each carrier. You had to work through a fairly, yeah, sort of Byzantine process to get your apps up, right? You had to have a relationship with them. You had to get them to look at the games that you built. They had to approve the game. Mm. They had to test it to make sure that it would work on enough devices for them to roll it out. And then they would roll it out. So today, if you have an idea for a game, right? I don't know. It could be uh, a ra race. It doesn't matter. Racing game. Uh, if you like that idea or like Flappy Bird, right, which was a huge success for a brief period of time. One developer had an idea for a fun game. He developed it. He put it out into the onto the app stores, and the market decided whether or not it was a good game. In those days, that's not what happened. It didn't matter what you thought about your game, if the or what the market thought about it. Right? Verizon 
you know, two or three people at Verizon had to think that your game was worth putting out onto their app store to get there. Um, so there, it was a different, very different process, but one that we were one of the first companies to address in the U.S. So we had good relationships with many of the carriers. And we were churning out games early on. Uh, little by little, they started to make money. And about three years in, it made enough money that we could do it full time. And so, yeah, so uh, the game started taking off. We started to attract um, brands that we could make games for uh, or with, I should say. Uh, and then quickly, we started to attract some interest from competitors and other companies that wanted to move into the space. So after a couple of years where we were working on this on our own and really nobody had any interest in what we were doing, uh, and it was a small business, and most people didn't think that games on cell phones would be that big a deal. Most people didn't have cell phones. <laughs> um then it went almost, it felt overnight, right? But it was a couple of years. But then suddenly, um, investors started to get interested. Um, partners started to get interested in our business. And ultimately, we ended up selling the business to SK, a subsidiary of SK Telecom. Yeah. Uh, SK Telecom is, uh, is uh, basically Verizon Wireless of South Korea. Uh, they are owned by the SK Group, which is a large multinational conglomerate that owns, you know, all sorts of businesses in South Korea yeah. and beyond South Korea. Mm -hmm. uh, they had a U.S. They have a U.S. presence in a number of different industries. Um, back then, the Asian markets, particularly Japan and South Korea, were much more advanced. Uh, in the mobile world than the U.S. market was, in both for cell phone technology, um, uh, networking technology, but also content, right? So um, all kinds of content, ringtones, wallpapers, games on those cell phones were more popular than here in the U.S. So they wanted to sort of leverage their expertise and their lead in the market mm -hmm. uh, into the U.S. market. They acquired us. We got to build games using their resources. So we had bigger budget, bigger teams, more money to go after bigger brands. And we did that for about a year. Mm -hmm. um, but we saw that mobile at that point was still very early and just starting to take off. This is still before iPhone and Android. Mm. But in 2004, 2005, two things, we saw two things that were interesting. One is, we started to build some very basic social features into our games. Most people were not doing that. They were just building individual games. We played with that and we saw that the social features were getting as much, if not more, interest than the game itself. Two, we saw um, the rise of companies like Facebook, Bebo, and MySpace. Facebook actually wasn't the most important one back then, right? Mm -hmm. MySpace, MySpace, Bebo, and a company called Friendster mm -hmm. uh, were 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 sort of higher profile and more interesting, and we paid more attention to them uh, in the beginning. But Facebook was also happening then. We thought it was a great idea to explore social networks uh, on mobile phones. Um, the SK Group didn't really want to go in that direction, right? They were sort of more focused on the games. And so we said, well, this is 
frustrating, but also a really big opportunity. So my partner and I decided to leave mm-hmm. and start a business that we still own today called MocoSpace. Wow. And we built one of the first um, and maybe the first uh, pure social network for mobile phones in North America. So we looked at what MySpace and YouTube and, 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 and like I said, Bebo and what some of these companies were doing and thought, okay, we know how to put this onto cell phones, which back then was pretty hard because, like I said, there was hundreds of phones out there. And so when you built an application um, in those days, uh, a part of your resources were dedicated to building whatever it was you were going to build, the application. But as much or more resources had to be applied to what they called porting that application to all these other devices. Mm -hmm. So you could build a game for one phone, and then you needed a whole room full of engineers and devices to make that game work on the other 200 phones that Mm -hmm. Verizon was selling. So they would take that code, and they would write it and test it, and every phone had different, you know, uh, processors and different, you know, capabilities, oh, wow. file size and whatnot. So it was a headache. It was not fun. Mm-hmm. Porting was really sort of a grind, tough work. Mm-hmm. But in any case, we thought, okay, we know how to build, like, we know how to build stuff for mobile phones. Let's take some of the good social features we think out there, mm-hmm. combine with gaming stuff, and see if we can build a community. That's what we did. And uh, we assumed that it would be work. It sounded like a great idea on paper. So we're like, oh, we're going to quit these jobs. We're going to start this and it's going to be amazing. Uh, We quit the jobs. We started this. We built this uh, application and it turned out it wasn't amazing. (laughs) It took a while. It took the first, um, you know, six to eight months in, we liked the application we had built, but we had no audience. We didn't really even have a way to build an audience because the carriers had app stores um, for games and for apps like, you know, um, uh, psychics or astrology, but they didn't really have a category for social Mm -hmm. because it was all very new. Um, and, And even as they started to find spots where they could promote these kind of things, People didn't really know what they were. Mm-hmm. And when first of all, when you bought a phone from Verizon or AT&T or whatever, you bought it first and foremost to make phone calls and text messaging. A lot of users didn't realize that they had an app store. So discovery was a problem. And then when they did discover the app store, you know, people understand what games are. But, you know, they didn't, they didn't really view the device as necessarily a platform for application. So... You would get some people that would be, you know, would say, oh, cool, there's a game on here. I'll download the game. But it wasn't it wasn't what it is today. Yeah. It was a very new idea. Cell phones were a relatively new idea. Mm-hmm. The idea that cell phones could have applications was an even more niche idea. Mm-hmm. So we you rolled this early. out. We were early and it took us a while to get an audience. Um, and so we had real doubts about that. Was it a hard time when, Justin, you just run a very successful, yeah. incredible business, yeah. you have a like, very wonderful asset, and now, uh, six months later, you are in a different spot. Was it a tough it, 
pill to swallow? Yeah, it was a tough pill to swallow, and it got even tougher because um, a well-known entrepreneur, a guy named Trip Hawkins, who was the founder of Electronic Arts, the major video game company, called me one day out of the blue, and he said, I love what you guys are doing. Uh, I want to buy the company. And I thought, first of all, is this really Trip Hawkins? I thought it was a joke. was. And I thought, this is amazing. This guy wants to buy it because we built this application. It wasn't really a company. We had very few users and no revenue. And I thought, oh, well, he's going to buy us and give us jobs. And so thank God, well, he's going to save us from this failure. And, uh, and he'll help us actually maybe grow this into something. So it seemed like he was coming to save us. So we went down that path with him. It was very exciting to be engaging with him. Um, but it turned out at the very end, and this happens a lot with M&A, uh, they decided not to buy us. Um, when I found that out, it was even more devastating. Not only we'd left a successful company to start something that wasn't working, but then we thought somebody was going to buy us and rescue it, and we were like going to go happily off into the sunset working for this amazing uh, uh, entrepreneur and his team and have another success selling a second company. And instead, they decided to walk away and were like, great, now what? We have an app that's a pretty cool app, but you know, maybe we had 100 or 200 users on the app. Uh, and no way to make money off the app. Uh, and we thought like, oh, this is, I mean, it was, you know, pretty horrible feeling. And then literally within a month or two, um, we partnered with a couple carriers, uh, Cricket Wireless and Metro PCS. And those two companies really promoted our app. And they really, they were more innovative, they're faster moving, there are newer players in the wireless space, and they really got behind what we were doing. And our traffic started to explode. Wow. You know, what, what happens with social right networks is that you need, you need a network effect. Mm -hmm. You need, you know, you need people on the app to attract and retain other people. And so we were on our own growing very slowly, but it was never enough people. If you logged into the app, there might be five or 10 other people. And so you would lose interest and leave. When they started promoting us, it got us a little bit of momentum and the critical mass we needed to really snowball. And so within three or four months of that uh, dark period where we thought we were gonna sell the company, it didn't happen, now we started to see the signs of, wow, the audience is growing. At the same time, um, again, because this is so early, there was no way to make money off this audience. But there was another entrepreneur in California who had tried to do what we did. They wanted to build a social product and realized it's hard to get users and it's hard to make money. And they said, well, why don't we build an ad platform? so that people can advertise uh, on mobile phones. And so he reached out and he said, hey, I understand your challenge. Uh, I think I built a solution. Do you want to try it? So we tried it and it worked great. People would buy ads on our, on, our, on our app and we could buy ads on other people's apps 
to generate more traffic. Um, that business um, uh, ended up becoming uh, one of the largest acquisitions uh, that Google ever made at the time. It was a company called AdMob that Google bought for about $750 million at the time. Mm -hmm. So his idea was a great idea. That's his grew, company? Yeah, that's his company. It grew. Wow. It was just him when he called me. It was just one person. Wow. It exploded, did very well, and uh, yeah, it was an amazing story in and of itself. Mm -hmm. um, but these things started to come together. And so that's interesting from an entrepreneurial standpoint because – if you study sort of innovation and entrepreneurship, what you realize is um, timing is really important, mm -hmm. right? So we were a little bit early with our initial product, but by months, maybe a year. So that was sort of a reasonable amount of time. But then because most things like electric vehicles is a great example, right? You need a number of different things in the ecosystem to come together for it to be viable, right? Right. You can't just have one thing, right? So if so, in our case, like you could build apps, but if there are no app stores to distribute them, then it doesn't matter. If there's if there are no ad platforms or billing platforms that allow you to monetize the apps, mm -hmm. it also doesn't work. Mm -hmm. um, and so what you need is all of these things to come together, and that's literally what happened in real time for us. Was we went from having an app that was sort of you know, an island with no ecosystem around it to an ecosystem that quickly came together to support applications. And this is still before iPhone and Android. So a lot of people, especially young people, think about apps. They they don't even realize that there were app stores before iPhone and Android. Wow, yeah. what a journey. Yeah. Yeah. Come so. from an exciting idea to a dark moment. You're wondering, is it even going to work? Yeah. To a a rabbit hole where you think you're going to sell but end up people walk away and then two months later everything changed so quickly oh yeah and then we got a phone call from General Catalyst who's a, one of the top venture firms and they flew in to meet with us wow and they wanted to invest in us uh, so we weren't sure what to think about it at first because we liked working for ourselves but it was very appealing mm. to and flattering to be approached by this, you know, top venture firm, brilliant people, nice people, lots of successful people under their roof, um, offering to help us build our business and, and, and work with us in, in all these different kinds of ways that we could, of course, never do on our own. And they're, you know, brilliant, sophisticated, nice, everything that we could ask for. And so we decided to work with them. And that was also just another amazing journey into, yeah, a world that, you know, was totally foreign to us, you know. Uh, like I said, we never started down this path mm -hmm. looking for sort of glory or, you know, wealth. Um, we were just looking for sort of independence and to work on something we liked. And now here we were at this top venture firm getting to participate in all kinds of cool events and meeting really interesting people. It was, yeah, it was amazing. I was like, whoa, I was just a French teacher a couple of years ago. <laughs> How did this happen? Yeah. Wow. And then what's next? Uh, so, well, what's next is, yeah, I mean, uh, that was uh, 2007, 2008. 
uh, my best friend and I are still best friends. Wow. We, which is That's amazing. Insane. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, and we still own the business. We still have the business, Moco Space, uh, running it uh, out of Boston. Um, and so that's amazing. Uh, we obviously did not, uh, beat Facebook <laughs> or Snapchat or TikTok or Twitter or Instagram. Um, but we managed to build a successful, profitable business that has survived, uh, uh, in an incredibly competitive mm -hmm. landscape, right? Yeah. We're, uh, you know, our competition is some of the smartest, brightest, and most successful companies ever mm -hmm. built. Yeah. Facebook being probably the prime example there. And uh, so, yeah, so we have built a business that has lasted almost 20 years. Which is insanely yeah. wow. And it's been a great journey. And, um, and it's, a, you know, long, tough journey in many ways. But it's something that we... Uh, love to do. And so, yeah, I mean, I could talk about it forever because yeah. that's 18 years. But, um, well, you know, we've had opportunities. We never sold the business. Um, was it intention? Uh, well, whenever you take investor money, the intention, you know, for venture capitals is that you're going to sell the business. We had some opportunities um, that just never came together. And that's probably a whole separate podcast. Yeah. But, there were times where we thought it was a good time to sell the business. Our investors didn't. We couldn't ever get all the parties to agree at the table um, at the same time at mm -hmm. the right price. Um, and so ultimately, didn't we didn't sell the business, which is sort of the more traditional success. Um, for us, we were happy and are happy to continue to run mm -hmm. a uh, you know profitable, successful business that we have built from the ground up for 18 years and yeah. hopefully has a lot more life into it. Yeah. And, yeah. And speaking about traditional success, Justin, what's your definition of success? And and with that, do you think you are successful? Um. So, yeah. Do I think I'm successful? Yes. I feel pretty successful and I feel very fortunate and very lucky, right? There is a lot of hard work that goes into these things. Of course. Um, there is also a lot of luck that people don't talk a lot about, right? We all, part of the narrative fallacy is like, mm. oh, we're all really smart. We're hardworking. And the reason we're successful is because we're harder working and smarter than the competition. That's definitely part of the story. But another part of the story is that luck comes into play mm -hmm. in many of these situations. Mm -hmm. Um, and yes, being hardworking and persistent allows you to um, create some luck and be in a position to benefit from luck. Um, but yeah, I definitely think that I uh, feel successful and uh, fulfilled. Uh, my definition of success um, to me ultimately is if you um, put yourself in a position where you get to choose uh, who you spend your time with mm. um, and um, that you get to do things that you like to do with the people you like to do them with. Oh, I love that. And so for me, that's what success is about. You know, mm -hmm. of course, there are lots of other aspects to that, right? People think about it traditionally in terms of wealth or fame or those types of things. And of course, those like are can be pieces of that. 
But ultimately, I think, um, and I didn't know it at the time, but when I started working with General Catalyst, I started to learn about that because most people at General Catalyst, certainly that work there, but also that we encounter, were very successful in terms of finance, in terms of uh, wealth, in terms of accomplishments, professional accomplishments and whatnot. But what you start to realize is even when I met some of the most successful people, like I got to meet Steve Case, the founder of AOL, right? Fabulously successful, wealthy guy by every measure. And he had said the most fun part about the job, the best part of his experience was not when AOL sold the Time Warner and he was running a company with tens of thousands of employees. The best part, he said, was the early days when I sat around a table with my brother and coworkers and friends and boxes of pizza and cans of soda, and we were just working on everything together, right? Yeah. And you start to realize, um, and I realize, I understand that it's a privilege, but you realize when you get to have some bits of fame and some bits of wealth that those things are nice, but what's really fulfilling mm -hmm. ultimately is that it gives those things can uh, provide you the opportunity to choose how you spend your time and who mm -hmm. you spend your time with. And I so, love that. so to me, it feels like having that choice to work with people that I like and enjoy working with and hopefully that feel the same way about me. Mm -hmm. That's what's really been the best part about, you know, success and what I think, you know, is is. uh yeah, how I would define it, what I would be pursuing. Yeah, yeah. make life an exciting adventure. Yeah, for yeah. the right people doing things that you're passionate about. What yes. more can we ask for? Yeah, absolutely. So, what's next for you, Justin? Yeah, good question. Well, um, I'm trying. So, one is as I mentioned, uh, I still uh, run the business, and so uh, a part of my life is still absolutely trying to continue to. Um, grow and build that business to have it be as, you know, uh, a long and successful life as it can have. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the other part of something that I spend quite a bit of time doing, um, and that's been true for, yeah, over 10 years is angel investing and yeah. mentoring. So I'm pretty active angel investor. I think I've backed, you know, something like over 50 different companies, uh, a couple of funds. Um, and I love that, right? I mm -hmm. love, uh, I actually love investing mm -hmm. and um, I love entrepreneurship. And so that's been a lot of fun. And I hope I continue to do that. It's an amazing way to choose to spend time with really interesting people working on interesting things. Mm. And it's great energy to be around and, yeah. and always be learning from people that are doing stuff. You know, I'm interested mm -hmm. in talking to entrepreneurs that are working on anything. I have, I'm an investor in a company that makes a vegan food dip. I'm not a vegan and I don't really <laughs> use food dips, but the entrepreneur is a friend of mine. It's amazing. It's really cool yeah. to learn and see how they grow. Yeah. Uh, of course, gaming and social networks and media, that's an area that I, that I like a lot. So mm -hmm. yeah, so I love doing mentorship and entrepreneurship and, and angel investing. And so I hope, uh, at least for the next while, to continue to build my business, Moco Space, mm -hmm. um, but also to continue to get to work with interesting entrepreneurs um, and help them on their journey um, and maybe that. play a small part in that. 
And eventually we'll see down the road whether, you know, one path is maybe starting a, a fund. A lot of people do that um, so that I can continue to do more of that. Another would be to start other companies in the future. Um, what do you want? Yeah, I haven't I don't have an answer for that yet. I'm sort of kind of like when I talked about what I studied, I just sort of follow different paths. And, yeah. you know, I, I try to have plans and I try and think about big <laughs> picture. But ultimately, like we said about losing 50 pounds, it's yeah. really about waking up each day and taking yeah. a step. And, and and sometimes it's just taking a step in a direction without really knowing what direction that is. And so I think I have a balance between trying to have a big picture plan, but also just waking up and doing what feels right in those mm -hmm. days. And hopefully those things sort of come together. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, wow, okay. I was a French teacher. I got to work <laughs> as a journalist. Then I made games. Now I made social networking. And who knows what the next thing will be. But at yes. some point, you know, the 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 things align and you sort of realize you're on your next mm -hmm. path. What do you think is your superpower? Oh, what's my superpower? Good question. Um, first of all, I don't know that I have a superpower. Um, I think there are, when people have superpowers, I think that it's sort of obvious that they are excellent at something or some things. Maybe it's not that. It's more like what is one thing that made you made you not only successful but living the life that fulfilled to your own liking. Yeah, I think I think that I put a lot of value on uh, balance. Mm. And and I like to think I'm pretty good like with people. Mm. I like people. Friendships are super important to me. And my friends like sort of would say that like I put a lot of effort and energy into cultivating friendships yeah. and and I always want to be building that network of 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 friends and surrounding myself with those with 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 uh, with people that also want to be, yeah. you know, my friend um, from all walks of life. So I think balance is probably something that is a strength of mine is that mm -hmm. I sort of I, 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 I get obsessed by things and I get mm -hmm. can go really deep in certain things. But I think having a balanced life is sort of a path to being mm -hmm. most fulfilled. Mm, I love that. Yeah. And you know, today as entrepreneur, also mentor and not only build your own incredible venture, but also mentoring so many incredible smart people on their own startup journey. Yeah. Now I'm curious, is there one or two advice you share with our audiences who maybe are just like you in the early stage, in the trenches and having an idea, but, you know, still figured out the path? Yeah, I would say two things that um, that uh, that that I think about a lot um, and that I've ref referenced here. One is um, you don't have to quit your day job mm. to start this. There's a lot of entrepreneurs when I meet them very early on, they have a PowerPoint and they're raising money right away. Right. They want to, you know, they think like that's step one of being an entrepreneur is building a PowerPoint and raising money. Mm -hmm. I understand why, um, but, um, and they wanna, you know, drop everything and do that. Um, that's like, there's a whole bunch of reasons why I think that that's really hard and not the right path for most people. Um, uh, and creates a lot of risk and a lot of stress on people. Um, so one I would say is, yeah, if you have ideas, you can explore them you can bring them pretty far along most of the time 
without having to quit your job and mortgage your house and and be really worried about about how you're going to pay your bills because you quit your job mm -hmm. to build this thing and depend on fundraising or future fundraising mm -hmm. to get a salary. So I would say don't quit your day job. Mm. Figure out ways to work on these things on the side. Um, the other thing I would say is obsession, right? There's a lot of people, I understand it, um, you know, that they want to be entrepreneurs. They see uh, that there's some glamour associated with it, that there's wealth, uh, all these other trappings of success. Um, and the reality is like um, kind of like one announcing you're going to lose 50 pounds. Like <laughs> it's a longer, harder journey than you think. And most, most of the time it's not successful. So you really have to like the journey mm -hmm. because a lot of times the success is going to be elusive or it's going to take a long time for it to happen. Mm -hmm. And it may not be the first company you start or the second company you start. Um, and so if you're not working on something that you're obsessed with, that you really enjoy working on every day, mm -hmm. um, you're going to be miserable, you're going to burn out, and you're mm -hmm. probably not going to be successful. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, I think that most entrepreneurs that are successful, um, when you sort of work backwards, they were obsessed. You mm -hmm. know, if you read about Sam Walton from Walmart, if you read about Jeff Bezos, mm -hmm. um, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, I mean, these Bill Gates, right? These are people that if they weren't obsessed, uh, first of all, they well, they wouldn't be where they are today, but they could have quit a long time ago. If it was just money and fame, they, they made all of that a long time ago. Mm -hmm. They continue to work on these things because, or Elon Musk, right? Mm -hmm. Kind of more controversial, but uh, right now, but like they're, they're like, they're not doing it for the money or the fame. If they were, like I said, they would have ended a long time ago. They are, you can't fake the obsession that they have, mm -hmm. you know? And so you got to find that thing that really gets you excited, mm -hmm. you know? It's not that money and fame can't be motivators. They absolutely are, and they can be part of that. But if you don't really love what you're working on, mm -hmm. um, it's, I just think you're setting yourself up for, like, to be um, not necessarily a, uh, uh, fail but to be unhappy mm -hmm. mm. you know there's a lot of people we all know in careers that you know worked really hard um because they thought well i want to be a doctor not because or a lawyer not because they love medicine or law but because those are prestigious respectable careers mm -hmm. they'll make a lot of money but we probably all know a lot of lawyers or doctors or any field that are pretty miserable even though they're successful mm -hmm. because they're not doing something that they really enjoy doing mm -hmm. so you want to find that thing that you really mm -hmm. um enjoy that's not to say like turn your hobby or your passion into a job because that's not great advice <laughs> either but um you know you have to sort of try and tie those to like a real business concept mm -hmm. but I think you want to work on something that you're really interested in as a problem solving, yeah. you know. I love that. Yeah. Great advice. Number one, de-risk, de-risk, yes. de-risk. Don't quit your job immediately. Start small yeah. and go found there. And secondly, having a healthy obsession to the product, solving the problem for your customer and do it for the right reason because it's a long journey. You might just you know, love it rather than do it for the different reason. Yep. 
Amazing. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much. Oh my goodness, I love, love you come here to share the journey, uh, the process to take on where you were, uh, uh, someone who you know love to you know whether. At the beginning, just love the the culture and just kind of go with the flow to then shifting from being a teacher to now entrepreneur and investor and mentors and sharing your insight, your learning, and now impacting so many other smart people, helping them to build great product in in a global way. And wow, what an amazing journey! Thank you so much, Justin. Oh well, thanks for having me. Yeah, what yeah, the, this is awesome. Yeah, no, thank you so much for all you do. Yeah. And thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in today. I hope you all enjoyed as much as I do. And I cannot wait to see you all next week. Bye, guys.